Welcome to another edition of NBA Sound System. Carlin Gay alongside Alex Novick. Alex, what's up, man? Not too much. It's been too long. Full week. Ready to get get back into it already. Yeah, full week of uh, having to kill each other's takes. But we'll get into that on this episode. Scott Rafferty is also on the program. Scott, what's up? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm, I'm excited to see yeah. where this goes today, but I, I have no idea what's going to happen. So I'm excited, though. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting show for sure. And last but not least, Micah Adams is here as well. Micah, what's up, dude? It's uh, it's definitely last and least when it comes to the show, social distancing. <laughs> I'm losing my mind here. I can't play any more games, do any more puzzles. I need basketball. Yeah, we all we all need basketball. And this episode might be peak uh, quarantine content. Um, so this episode is, is a little bit different than uh, some of the other episodes. And by the way, if you haven't already listened to our breakdown of the top 15 players of the 90s, you should go back and do that. It's a two-parter. It's worth your time. Uh, but on today's show, we will be talking about current NBA stars and how to improve them. We've taken it upon ourselves to become the skills and development trainers that we were born to be. And we're going to do it in uh, a quarantine style because everybody's sort of in either lockdown or stay at home order uh, throughout the world. So we're going the creative route and uh, finding ways for NBA players to improve on one skill while still at home. So at home training from yours truly. Uh, we hope you enjoy it. Who wants to go first? There's, we, we've each picked two players. And uh, we're going to give you the the full eight players throughout this podcast of things they can work on. But who wants to go first? I, I'm, I'm, I'm game if you guys are ready. I'm breaking the rules on both of my guys. So I definitely am not going first. <laughs> I'm just glad I'm not the one breaking the rules this week. <laughs> We'll see. I'm sure you will. I'm sure you will some way, somehow. You know what? I'm going to go first. I, I already let you guys know before this this uh, episode started that LeBron James was one of my guys. So we'll start there with LeBron James, King James, if you will. Uh, our main man who's on this podcast right now, Scott Rafferty, wrote an article uh, about LeBron James and his true shooting percentage in the clutch. And is it a cause for concern for the LA Lakers, that number, 43.3%, is not LeBron James-like. So how does LeBron James fix that? How does he get better at shooting in the clutch? How does he get better at being in the clutch by himself at home in lockdown? Well, if it was up to me, LeBron James... This is going to be terrible. <laughs> <laughs> It was up to, it was up to me. LeBron James only has one way and one way to do that. You need poise. You need the ability to be clutch. You need the ability to to work under pressure. And being in the four walls of your own home, there's only one way to do that. We've all we all drive cars here. We all know. Uh, we all try to play that game where we go to the gas pump and try to hit right on twenty or thirty or whatever you're putting in the gas pump. Try to get that perfect pump. You can't do that at home. But there's a similar thing you can do at home with their microwave. So LeBron James needs to go to the microwave, punch in 10 on the clock, count it down from 10 all the way to right before the buzzer hits. And before the buzzer hits, he needs to pull the door open and perform at a high level, at clutch level, without the buzzer going off. And he needs to do that over and over and over again to show poise, to show consistency, and show the ability that he could get it done under pressure. 
Well, my first my first two comments. I can't believe you go ten minutes and not five minutes when it's the final <laughs> five minutes is is when we got clutch time starting. I feel like you need to introduce something where like there's like a known limit at which something will combust in the microwave, and if you're a second too late, you're done. You got to introduce like tin foil to this, some type of metal. I don't know. I I feel Red like sauce. we you didn't. It's, you're like yeah. You're Red a little bit too good. half baked here. I liked where you're going though. Red sauce is good. The tin foil. I was a little bit nervous. Uh, I, I don't want to. I don't want to hurt anybody because if he gets it wrong, it, it could be very bad. But the red sauce is good. If you if you miss a shot in the clutch, it could be bad too. Your season could be over. <laughs> I don't, yeah. Come on, you got to raise the stakes. If we're talking about come on coming up big in the clutch, you got to you got to risk burning the house down, baby. Yeah, I I mean it was the only thing I could really think of about being in the clutch is is you know either burning something or you know pulling the microwave door open and that's what I came up with. Any any beef other than Mike any anyone else has beef with what I came up with for LeBron James to work on his clutch performance I, I respect I, I just love how you me too but I love how you went to uh, your default for just a timer is is a microwave like it's uh 2001 like we all <laughs> we all have timers on our phones now like there's a lot of other things that keep the time I mean to be honest I still use the microwave too because it's, it's really easy but it's funny that you're still thinking that way yeah, it, it, I might be showing my age on that one for sure. I didn't even think about the phone. Big picture wise, though, it, it, I do think it is kind of concerning. Mike and I kind of talked about this when I published that article. Because um, when you think about it, like I, I still think that the Lakers need LeBron to be that clutch closer. And one of the reasons I was so high about the Clippers getting Marcus Morris is just because they now have the Clippers have three guys who can kind of make things difficult for LeBron in a one on one situation. And if you look at his shot shot in the clutch, He's still incredible around the basket, but it's basically as soon as he gets outside of the restricted area, it's just just red, completely red. So if you have guys who can kind of prevent him from getting to the basket and just settle for jump shots, you know, may- maybe that's a way that you can slow the, the Lake- him and the Lakers down uh, in-, in the playoffs. And another fun fact quickly before I'll let one of you guys respond to that. Um, one of the things that jumped out to me when researching that, this is the first time in LeBron's career that he has not led his own team in total points scored in the clutch. That blew my mind. Anthony Davis is actually the Lakers' uh, crunch, time, crunch time scorer, this leading scorer of the season. That was going to be my next question. Do you think that, you know, with, with Anthony Davis there and a guy who obviously was able to perform in the clutch when he had his own team, so to speak, does that kind of offset the fact that LeBron is clearly aging and, and, and maybe settling uh, for jump shots in the clutch versus the way that he used to bulldoze his way to the rim when he was a little bit younger? A little bit, but I think also in today's NBA, you still kind of need that primary ball handler who can initiate offense from you know the top of the perimeter, whether it's creating offense for himself or someone else. So Anthony Davis, if you I didn't watch all of his points scored in the clutch this season, I'm assuming a lot of them are pick and rolls and then just straight up post-ups. Um, and post-ups aren't necessarily the most efficient source of scoring. And we saw in that first game against the Clippers... The, the offense kind of grinds to a halt when he gets there, and it, it's it's basically him trying to muscle his way through guys like Montrez Harrell and uh, when they're playing the Clips and everything. So I I still think they need LeBron to be an efficient scorer and creator in that situation. If that's what it comes down to, I think. I mean, you you mentioned that LeBron clutch time shot chart, and I think like it's it's really impossible to undersell uh, just how terrible he was. So uh, fourteen of twenty one around the basket. 1 of 10 from mid-range, and just 5 of 29 from 3. 6 for 39. That is absolutely putrid. 
So, I mean, I don't know. Are, are teams just going to start doing to him what the Spurs did in the 2013 finals and just start sagging off, go under everything, and just say, LeBron, shoot all you want, bro? I don't know. I, that, to me, that's the only that's what I look at here, and I say that like that's how you're going to have to guard LeBron and the Lakers come clutch time. On the on the flip side, there's probably not a single person out there that's going to point to one number in the regular season and say, okay, now I'm worried about LeBron in the clutch come playoff time, right? Like he kind of gets the benefit of the doubt for being LeBron. No, he absolutely does. You absolutely have to give him the benefit of the doubt. But I also think for me, when I was when I kind of saw that how bad he's been in the clutch this season. There's little things in his game that show that he is slowing down a little bit. And I say slowing down a little bit. He's still playing at like an MVP level. He's still arguably the best player in the world. But like he's not finishing at the rim quite as well as he used to. He's not shooting like pull up threes very well. He, he's declined in the clutch. Like I, I do kind of wonder if this is a sign, like the first real sign that like father time is catching up with him a little bit, even though, again, arguably still the best player in the NBA. He better he better not be using these two months off eating nothing but microwavable snacks and food though. <laughs> that's not that's not any way for a thirty five year old in his seventeenth season to get back in the mix. That's not good. definitely not going to get it done. Um, I, I that so that's a wrap on LeBron. But uh, my next guy, and, and this is a tease more for Micah than anyone, is uh, someone close to Micah's heart near and dear. That's the tease. So I'll, I'll throw it to Mike Adams for his first. Uh, first guy that he's chosen to uh to help out during this quarantine time well i told you that i'm gonna cheat and i'm gonna cheat i i told you guys that i one of mine was kyrie irving uh but really it's the entire brooklyn nets team uh specific well as long as kyrie is on the nets wait i thought i threw it to mike and not scott what's yeah. happening right what? now yeah what are we doing here what, what are you doing the whole team yeah, I'm doing the whole team. This was worse than me okay. picking three people for so here, Dennis here's the thing. Well, look, we, we've killed Kyrie so many times for being a crazy, aloof. He's not a bad teammate. He's just a weird dude, right? So I hope that the Nets, when they're hanging out, they're having all these like uh, social distancing happy hours on Zoom. I want every single person on the Nets, including Kyrie, to be playing around with those those custom backgrounds on Zoom where you can be in any place in the world. And I want them to use any background except the Nets locker room because anytime those guys are together, they just hate each other. So they need to train each other to be able to socialize while mentally distancing themselves and pretending that they're on some island in the middle of the ocean on the flat earth out there away from Kyrie and away from each other. That's the only way that whenever the Nets come back, They'll actually be able to build some some sort of sustainable winning culture with Kyrie there. So I want them to use Zoom as their way of building team chemistry. Solid. When That's what I got. Kyrie, when you said Kyrie, I thought you might be going with uh, some Tiger King reference, just like throwing his teammates <laughs> to, the, to to be fed or I'm not <laughs> playing hurt or something. But I will not. I'm not going to be an advocate. I'm not going to be an advocate for. Uh, for homicide on this uh, on this edition of NBA Sound System. No, but but blowing up in the, blowing up a microwave in someone's face is okay. Yeah, really. <laughs> <laughs> we know where the line is now. Uh, by the way, the Nets as 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 low have uh, as the Nets have hit, like rock bottom of the Nets have hit. They they fired their head coach and everything. Kyrie hasn't played much basketball for them. KD obviously hasn't stepped on the floor at all. They're still seventh in the Eastern Conference. I think people forget about that as you know the seasons has hit pause. 
and we hope that they were able to get back the season and and have them finish. But they'll still be in the playoffs. They'll still have a chance to to compete and compete for a title. Obviously, they're not a a title contender. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that it's not as bad as people are making it out to be, despite the fact that they don't have a coach, (laughs) Kyrie hasn't played, and Kevin Durant hasn't shown up as yet. So if Kevin Kevin Durant comes back and plays, that's the single craziest storyline entering a postseason ever. Like, no team has ever... Just like all of a sudden, gotten like one of the three best guys in the league, just just for the playoffs. Like that just has literally never happened before. And how about if he does come back for You're the playoffs? Sh- no, no, Novik is shaking his head. I want you to to run your mouth instead of shake your shake your head at me. Before before I let Novik go, but how about the coming full circle? If he were to come back, he would come back on the floor that he got injured on. The two seven matchup is the Toronto Raptors, where uh, the last time we saw Kevin Durant was him. Walking off the floor as a member of the Golden State Warriors. Imagine him walking on the floor as a member of the uh, Brooklyn Nets. That would be pretty poetic. I didn't think about that. But this is a joke because we, we already talked about this. He's not coming back. Like, there's no chance. The guy is not coming back. You saw what happened when he rushed back last year, and it was disastrous. And, and it, it kills me it when you say— It will have been 12 months. It doesn't matter. He's not going to rush back for no reason. They're not winning anything this season. But, but besides that, it kills me when you say that he'd be a top three guy because he's coming off an injury that nobody comes back from the same. No, The only guy that has ever come back from that and was still the same guy was Dominique Wilkins. Every other player was half or career-ending performance after they had that injury. So there's just no way that we're going to see Kevin Durant of old in July playing for three weeks. Like, it's just it's – just, not going to happen. It's a dream. Well, well, all right, my my count my counterpoint would be so you just said like okay, what's it what's there to come back for? What are they playing for? Like this is going to be the single weirdest postseason ever. Maybe they'll be like best of 3 series where uh who knows like how guys will how guys or teams will react to being off for 2 months. It's it's like a, it's a complete crapshoot, right? So like wouldn't you if you're in a situation where like yeah, if this was a normal postseason and they're the seventh seed and they're like why are you going to come back you guys are going to lose in five who the hell knows right like the knicks reached the nba finals as an eight seed and the lockout year in 99 and that wasn't remotely as crazy as whatever it is uh, they'll come back to now why not roll the dice i mean that's the f- that's one way to look at it and that's fair you could also look at it though is that whoever wins this season is going to have a massive asterisk Next to next to the title, there like no one's going to ever take this seriously, if, even if they do resume play. So, I mean, wh- why would he come back for a title that nobody's going to hey, care that's, about? That's right up his alley, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're right. Let's go care. get another asterisk, great accomplishments, baby. <laughs> challenges, accomplishments. He doesn't care. That's right up his alley. Uh, so yeah, the, the Brooklyn Nets having the backgrounds on Zoom and and feeling a little bit better about themselves as a team, not being in the uh, team environment. That's good. Uh, We'll move to Scott now. Scott, what do you got? All right, I'm I'm not going to cheat like Micah. Um, (laughs) Everyone may have seen that when quarantine got started, that Trey Young posted a video of him playing basketball outside with his dog chasing him around, right? I sort of think that that Trey Young needs to now chase his dog around. Because if there's one knock on Trey Young to this point of, of his career, it's that he's one of the worst defenders in the league, if not the worst defender in the league. So I think he could benefit from kind of moving his feet, chasing someone around quicker, and just, you know, I think that's going to help him eventually on the court. 
Well, who's that someone? What kind of dog do you have? I, I don't know. It's a, it's a little dog, but it's the thought that counts. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Those are harder to catch, so that's, that's even better. Well, I think part of his problem is that he's just so small, right? That, like, anyone... Um, I, I Like a lot of people right now, I think everyone's been playing a lot of NBA 2K. And I, I actually played against Trey Young with my team the other day. And it's hilarious how if he's just... Whoever he's standing in front of, you can just score him every single time at the rim. So I, I had DeLon Wright, and I just absolutely... DeLon Wright, who's not even like a starting point guard in the NBA right now, just bulldozes his way to the rim against him. So I think, you know, he, he needs to get a little bit quicker moving his feet, but also maybe improve his size a little bit, because we all know... Again, I, I don't think like ESPN's real defensive plus minus is perfect, but it is a little worrying that Trey Young is ranked dead last in the league, both last season and this season. The second straight, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, both seasons. So it wasn't a surprise when he's a rookie, because most rookies are bad defensively. But the fact that he's there again this season is, is a little concerning to me. So yeah, I think he needs to, to get better in that regard. What kind of dog does Trey Young have? I don't know. I can't remember. I don't is it like, well, I don't know. Is it like a little, is it's it a like little, a little fluffy dog or is it like a big, like a big guy? No, nah, it's, it's a little, it's a little dog. Caesar so, Milan, yeah. Caesar Milan is somewhere sitting there saying, you guys are embarrassing yourselves trying to figure <laughs> out what kind of dog uh, Trey Young has. By the way, he should, he should forget the dog. He should do the, uh, you remember the montages of like old boxing movies where they run around and chase the chicken? That's what he should be doing. Carlin, I have pulled. I have pulled up on my screen Rocky Two Chicken Chase <laughs> because I was going to ask Scott if he's been watching Rocky movies. We've seen this before. Yeah, we got to get. That's the, how we, we beat. That's chase. how we beat Clubber Lang. That's how he he got to speed up in defense to beat Clubber Lang. He he met Mickey, put him in a room with a chicken. He caught the chicken, and finally he he was able to become world champion. Well, there we go. Scott, I didn't. I, I just I looked didn't it think up. We, he. Uh, Trey Young has a French bulldog named Normie. There you go. So, wow, the internet's fascinating place. <laughs> the fact that we're able to get that information on the spot is incredible. Uh, so now that I Scott be, has I now bet, become I bet Normie, Trae Young's Mickey. I bet, Nor- I, I bet Normie can get more buckets on Trey Young than uh, <laughs> than uh, Norm Powell. <laughs> Don't do that. Come yeah, on, Norm Powell. What are you doing? Why, why, are we, why are we sending stray bullets towards Norm Powell? <laughs> I don't know, man. <laughs> Oh, man. All right, Alex, you're up. All right. Those are, uh, those are tough to follow. But uh, so one guy that, that this is probably the worst time to really rip on him because the last 15 games he really started breaking out. He was playing like an all-star. He was emerging. But I'm going to go at Lonzo Ball a little bit. I think Lonzo has some work to do with uh, the whole grocery shopping process. I think he needs to get better at carrying all the bags of groceries from his car into the house in one trip without dropping anything. And he needs to, you know, once he goes through all the glass and the plastic and the paper, he needs to do better at recycling and lowering his carbon footprint a little bit because he's been way too wasteful with his possessions. He's turning the ball over at a crazy rate. Only The only two guys in the league with a higher turnover rate than Lonzo Ball are Matthew Delvadova and Ray John Rondo right now. That's 20.7, his turnover percentage. That's the estimate of, of turnovers per 100 plays. He's averaging over three a game, and it's just way too much on, on that team where he needs, to, he needs to kind of rein in all those pieces and, and be the floor general. He's playing great. He's been scoring, shooting well. You know, he's, he's, getting, he's rebounding. He's getting a lot of assists, but those turnovers are way too high. So that's what he needs to do. He needs to, he needs to be more careful, be less wasteful, wasteful with those groceries. 
What are you going to do when uh, Lamella Ball comes into the league and says, hold my beer? <laughs> <laughs> Man, when I found out that Lamella Ball shot 27% or something like that from three in, in, in uh, the NBL in Australia, I'm out on Lamella Ball. I thought his whole thing was that he was a shooter. Like, what, what else What else is this guy bringing to the table? He's, he's skinny. He's, I don't know. He's, I don't think he's he's he's, he's, he's he. He's got playmaking tools. He's got playmaking ability. You got to give him, and he's a good rebounder. And he has size. Like he's 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 Lonzo in terms of like size and 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 body. He's not as skinny as you as you as you think. And he's going to put that size on as well when he gets to the NBA and gets a full time training regimen. So I'm not worried about his body. Um, but I, I I could see him turning the rock over way more than Lonzo. Uh, Lonzo seems like a, a little bit more responsible with the rock than Lamelo. So Lamelo is definitely going to surpass him. I will say, I think a lot a lot of those turnovers is the system that they play in New Orleans, right? Like, th- those guys are flying up and down the floor like crazy. Alvin Gentry has them playing at a breakneck pace all the time. Now, that being said, that doesn't mean that every time you unload your groceries from the car, you just, like, body slam the bag with the eggs into a wall. <laughs> like, you still have to, like, exercise a little bit of caution. But I do think that, like, they're definitely, like, they're not, like, double bagging milk. Yeah, in New Orleans. So maybe maybe he needs a little bit of help from the grocery store uh, to help uh, be better at the bagging and to set up Lonzo uh, to succeed more because they're 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 giving him all these options, all these different types of food with the worst possible plastic bags that are just breaking and ripping at the seams. I, I think it's a team effort here. Uh, is is what I'm getting at? Should have well, blown it up when I told him to. I, 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 I appreciate I appreciate you indulging my uh, cheesy analogy by really taking it to another level. So thanks, Micah. But I mean, Mister Mister Advanced Stats over there, you're saying it's about how fast the team plays. But I just told you he's third in the league in turnover percentage, which is an estimate of turnovers per 100 possessions. So that 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 adjusts for no. tur- for pace. No. No, it adjusts for the volume, but not style, right? Because like they're getting rebound. He is he is openly every like he looks for quick hitters. He throws like sixty foot outlet passes. Like if you just say like okay, like don't do that seven times a game. Do it twice a game, or just like hey, relax a little bit. Because if you watch them play, it is pretty crazy how many shots Lonzo takes. He's like a like a Big Twelve quarterback just like uncorking 50 yard fades every four passes yeah i mean you stop doing that you're you're gonna stop turning the ball over so much right i don't know i remember the message here run the ball i remember looking closely at um him as a rookie and diving into some of his numbers and everything and one of the things that jumped out was how frequently in transition he turned the ball over i think Kind of like Alex was saying, he like led the league in turnover percentage and in transition just because he would literally just grab the ball and then immediately just launch it up court and either he just wouldn't pass it well and it would go out of bounds or like no one knew how to run after that because very few people actually throw those passes. So I think some of it too might just be like he throws passes that a lot of guys in the league don't. When you say like Zion's running full court, he's at three quarter court and he's launching it that full length. Like there's not many guys in the league who can do that. So maybe it is a balance of like, you know, him reining in a little bit, but also guys catching up to him and, and knowing the kind of passes that he makes. Uh, this perfect segue because uh, my next player that I'd like to help out is one Zion Williamson. Uh, Zion, uh, I, I was looking, I was searching for different guys to kind of you know pick apart and 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 really find guys that 
people would know, you know. And, and uh, when I looked at the rebounding stat category, I noticed that Zion wasn't there. Uh, and to me, if you didn't look at the stats, you would just assume that Zion was averaging a double double, just because he's so dominant on the boards. He's a guy that's you know constantly in and around the rim, even you know rebounding his own misses. Scott, you wrote about that on NBA.com about how he's one of the best at doing that. Uh, and I went back to his, even his college season, uh, his one year at Duke, and I looked at it, and he didn't even average a double double figures in rebounding at that point in his career. I thought to myself, okay, that's weird. Uh, it felt like he was just a man amongst boys, and he could get the ball anytime he wanted to. So I looked at the rebounding percentage, and at Duke, it was around 15%, which isn't bad, but it also isn't great considering how much more physically dominant Zion is. And this season as a rookie, and also very small sample size, rebounding percentage for Zion Williamson so far, 12%. Now, for a guy with the talent, the jumping ability that he has, that is not going to get it done. Uh, so I expect him to, to definitely have a bump there, and that's obviously going to help the Pelicans maybe have less turnovers, maybe be, get it, be able to play the style that they want to play, get out and run a little bit more. So how does Zion change that around? Well, Alex brought up groceries. My idea for Zion to work on at home is to have someone, whoever he's you know sharing an apartment with or whatever the case may be, take a carton of eggs and start throwing those eggs at Zion and have him catch it before <laughs> they hit the ground. Because that's the only way he'll have any appreciation of catching something in the air and not having it hit the ground because it would be an absolute disaster if some of these eggs hit the floor. And if he wants to take it up a notch, he could go to the balcony, go down to the ground floor. I'm assuming Zion's in the penthouse, and so maybe that might be a little bit dangerous. But if he's on the third floor or something like that, go down to the bottom floor and have them throw it off the uh, the, the, the balcony and, and, and simulate what it would be like trying to catch a rebound in an NBA game. So Zion has to be better at rebounding. He has too much talent to just average less than seven rebounds per game. I like it. I think uh, that. I mean, that's one of thirty things Zion needs to work on before he lives up to the <laughs> wow. massive hype that everyone's wow. getting. You guys are such haters, <laughs> man. <laughs> I mean, in all like, if we're really talking, he needs he needs to get that uh, like virtual dribble up training program that we've all seen advertised on Instagram to actually get an NBA caliber handle because the, he guy can't can't dribble. I mean, right now, especially with his offhand, so. Yeah, I agree. The rebounding's got to improve, especially with his kind of like short arms. He takes a uh, a lot of ener- a lot more energy than other guys to rebound over centers because he's jumping at full full capacity. So, I mean, plus shooting, free throws, turnovers. He's he's got a lot to work on. <laughs> I, I thought about I thought about it <laughs> specifically good, more for rebounding though, uh, because Incredible. if you're if you're looking at the Pelicans and you're thinking to yourself, what's the best lineup? And, I, and we've talked about this on Sound System. It's, it's Zion at the five. They can't afford Zion to be at the five and not have him rebound at a high level. And I'm not saying he needs to be Andre Drummond or even you know Giannis, but he does need to have uh, you know a, a, a better rebounding percentage than what he has currently. Like he, he needs to get closer to 20 percent than than what he is right now. Yeah, and I think you know one of the one of the comparisons that, or and probably the the most. Uh, I don't know, the the most apt comparison for Zion is like young Charles Barkley, right? Like the pit bull of a 6'6", if that, uh, down low. And Charles Barkley is one of the best small rebounders ever. I mean, we, we were looking last week at, at uh, ranking kind of the best rebounders of all time, looking at some Dennis Rodman stuff. And Charles Barkley like ranks right there among the best ever. And as a rookie, uh, 
Charles Barkley's averaging 14 boards per 100 possessions. Uh, Zion's only about two-thirds of that. Uh, one of the things going for Zion Williamson, like Barkley, like Rodman, he's already a fantastic offensive rebounder. I think really for, for Zion Williamson, it's on the defensive end where he doesn't box out. He gets beat. He's, he's kind of uh, kind of a little bit like uh, when he's lazy defensively with his rotations. He can kind of be a lazy rebounder uh, as well. So if people are going to start comparing Zion Williamson to Charles Barkley, they need to be able to hold Zion's rebounding standards to uh, to Sir Charles as well. Because uh, as you pointed out, Colin, he, he's nowhere near the rebounder that, that he needs to be. I will say one. And I'm a big Zion guy. I will say one thing though. He 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 is teammates with one of the best rebounders at the point guard position, Lonzo Ball. And that's not to say Lonzo Ball is going to crash the boards against a guy like an Andre Drummond, who's potentially the best offensive rebound in the league right now, and everything. But I do think that kind of you know negates some of the problems with him on that end of the court. It's not like he's surrounded by a bunch of other guys who can't rebound. Do you know what I mean? Well, he he might be the primary rebounder though when they're when their best lineups on the floor. That's more of my concern is when he's playing the five. You don't have Derek Favors next to him, and Nicolo Melli is, is is that is that next big. He's not he's not going to be the, the the rebounder that you want him to be. You can't expect Ingram to get in there and get dirty. So it's it's really coming down to him and 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 Lonzo. That's 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 a recipe for disaster if he's putting up the numbers that he has right now. Uh, by the way, Charles Barkley as a rookie. Uh, almost 17% in terms of rebounding percentage, and that was as low as it got for him until he got to Phoenix and started to slow down a little bit more. So he's, he, I mean, if Zion needs to be, if, like I said, if Zion wants to, to be better and, and mentioned about amongst you know some of the greats in the league right now, it's got to be closer to 20% in terms of rebounding percentage. The guy, the guy is, uh, he's not going to need 10 years to win his first MVP like, uh, like Barkley did, though, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> under, take the under. Scorching hot. Uh, your, your mic's hot. You might as well continue. What, what do you got next? All right, I'm going to cheat again. So you guys said to t- <laughs> you guys said to take uh, we're taking individual players. I'm going to take a coach. Uh, I'm going to take a coach that has come up short time and time again. A coach that has a reputation uh, to get it done in the regular season and then fall flat on his face in the playoffs. I am talking about the coach of the Milwaukee Bucks, Mike Budenholzer. Uh, Coach Bud has not one time in his career uh, exceeded his seeding expectations. He has never one time beat a team seeded higher than him. Uh, he's had some really unimpressive flameouts, uh, going back to uh, just getting swept twice uh, by LeBron and the Cavs. Lost a couple of four or five series matchups. He they, his team was up three two. Uh, and, and lost the series against Indiana. So there's been a couple of, of really unimpressive flameouts. And I think one of the reasons that people don't take Milwaukee seriously, despite this historic season that they, that they were in the midst of having, is just is sort of this repeated history of kind of, well, we, we kind of have to believe it to see it. So what I want Mike Boldenholzer to be doing is playing lots and lots of board games. Specifically, strategy board games. So he, uh, he he's a family man. He has four daughters. So I'm sure there's lots of time in the Buttonholzer house for family game night right now. I started this off by looking and thinking about, you know what? He needs to learn how to play Risk really well. Like classic strategy game. Uh, if you go to BoardGameGeek.com and you start reading about Risk, there's a quote in there that says, quote, 
Risk is about ruthlessly crushing one's opponents. If one wants to play a, quote, family game, perhaps one might try Catan. If playing with a child who will cry if eliminated, Risk is definitely not the game to play. That means that for Buttonholzer, Risk is definitely the game to play. But then I was doing some more research because I wanted to find out specifically what about Risk would make him better. And I actually came across a different game that he needs to learn by far. The most cited game for the hardest board game to master is one called Go. And it's a game where these it's a 19 by 19 grid of intersections. And it's it basically like it looks like it kind of looks like backgammon. This is over 3,000 years old, created by Chinese emperors as a way to teach their generals about strategy and war. This is the game that I want Mike Bullenholzer to learn how to play. There are apparently more combinations of things you can do in this game uh, than there are atoms uh, in the human body. So I want Mike Bullenholzer to become the best Go player in the world because if he masters that, he will be able to master, master the NBA playoffs and whatever anyone throws at Milwaukee. You lost Scott. You absolutely lost Scott. I mean, you were he was with you when you were talking risks, but when you're talking games 3,000 years old, yeah. You, yeah. He, was, he was out. You had me on Settles of Catan, and then after that I was – you lost me. But that's, You that's said good. Fortnite he'd be in. Ah, Fortnite. <laughs> if you were like yeah, my Budenholz needs to master Fortnite, I'd be, I would have been all about it. Um, but no, no, I agree. I agree with you, Michael. We had a chat earlier in the season about why people weren't taking the Bucks as seriously as they should be, and we dedicated a big section of that to Mike Budenholzer and kind of the questions around him. And one of the things that I that we talked about, which I think is is worth bringing up, is that it's really hard to point to like one adjustment he has made as a coach. So not even the fact that like he hasn't beaten a team better or higher seeded than his, but even just like between games, making adjustments that can change the series. Because I think the only one that we talked about was in 2014 when he put Pero Antic at center to basically have a stretch five on the court to pull Roy Hibbert away from the rim. But they didn't even win that series. They pushed, uh, I think the, Hawk, the, the Hawks were an eight seed and the Pacers were one. And I think they pushed him to six or seven games. But that still wasn't enough for them to win the series. So it, it is really hard to point to like one notable adjustment he's made in the playoffs. They they uh they had a 1-0, a 2-1, and a 3-2 lead in that series. They led entering the fourth quarter of game six and were not able to close it out. So uh maybe one more one more coaching adjustment, uh, and they probably they probably win that series. He also maybe maybe he needs to start with cheat. Maybe he needs to just start something simple like cheat to 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 kind of figure out a way to to not only uh, try to outsmart his opponent, but use a poker face. Because I feel like if he was to make an adjustment. He feels like the coach that would let you know about the adjustment he's going to make before making. <laughs> <laughs> so he needs. I think he needs to hold it a little closer to the uh, closer to the vest. But yeah, he's he's a perfect candidate for to to, to improve during these times. I mean, uh, he he got crushed last year in the playoffs. Nick Nurse absolutely outcoached him, uh, and he he just couldn't recover. All right, Scott, what do you got? All right, this this next one might be a little bit of a reach, but Mike has already cheated twice, so I don't feel too bad about it. Um, <laughs> we've talked a lot about Pascal Siakam this season. He's made another incredible leap to the point where he's an all-star starter, a potential all-NBA guy, but we've talked a lot about how the next step for him is to kind of be this true number one option on a playoff team, a championship caliber team. Because right now he's the number one option on a good team, a really good team. But for him to take that next step 
He needs to become a more consistent scorer, I think, to kind of be able to lead the Raptors to a championship like we saw with Kawhi Leonard last year. So with that in mind, I think that Pascal Siakam needs to, to learn how to cook. Not so he has to like put on more weight or lose weight or anything <laughs> like that, but I think he needs to learn how to cook as a scorer, heat up a little bit, be able to score more in bunches, score on guys in isolation against a guy like a Giannis Antetokounmpo and Anthony Davis and things like that. So yeah, I think I think Siakam needs to to rein it in and know how to cook better. I'll, I'll add one more. I think he learn, needs to learn how to cook in variety. I think maybe he knows mm-hmm. one or two dishes, but you need to add that that third, fourth, and especially under lockdown, you need more than three dishes in your bag, or else you need some it's versatility. Getting pretty dire. Yeah, yeah. You need, and not only that. And not only that, he needs to learn how to be able to cook without without staring at a recipe. You got to be able to. It's not just about following the directions. It's about thinking on your feet. Oh crap! I'm out of this ingredient. What do I do now? Oh no! I don't have this strainer. What am I gonna like? You got You got to learn to be able to adapt on the fly. And halfway through cooking, you reach in the pantry, say, "Oh my god! I don't have." A, I don't have evaporated milk. What am I gonna do? <laughs> you gotta think. You gotta be able to think on a dime, uh, and all. Maybe, maybe you were, maybe you were planning on using the mixer, and you what? plug it in, and what? you blow a socket, and the mixer doesn't use. Not only do you have to be able to cook with different ingredients, <laughs> you gotta be able to cook with different apparatuses. You gotta be able to use the toaster, the blender, the microwave, everything. What do you make with the evaporated milk? <laughs> that was gonna be my question. I. I, I cook a lot. I don't remember the last time I looked in my cupboard and saw evaporated milk. So I was wondering where you pulled that out from. <laughs> what do you make with evaporated milk? I think pa- I think Pascal Siakam needs to come down to Fort Mill, South Carolina. I can show him how to really make the most out of out of everything, including evaporated milk. Oh man, I'm intrigued now. Oh man, that, that was good. Pascal learning how to cook. By the way. Uh, I don't think there's anyone in the planet, and that includes Blake Murphy at The Athletic, Michael Grange, you name them, that has written more words about Pascal Siakam than Scott Rafferty this season. <laughs> he I, is the leading candidate. I, I've, I've, been enjoying, I've been enjoying it this season. He's, he's a fun player. You're right, though. I think I've written like six deep dives at this point just on this season alone. And you already, he missed yeah. like 10, 15 games with injury, so it really hasn't been that many games. Yeah, Pascal's in. Uh, you've spent some time on Pascal. All right, Alex, what do you got? First, I mean the the amount of negativity said about Pascal Siakam on this on this podcast and in this group. I know Scott says some nice things about him, but for a guy who was came out of nowhere to be an All Star starter and was a star in the finals, you know, hasn't played basketball for in eight years of his life, and we hate on him like he's like. Patrick Ewing after the 94 finals. Like, come on. <laughs> hey, we, like, hey, give I, this guy some him, credit. I had him as the my pick for most improved halfway through this season. I'm, I'm a big Pascal Siakam guy. I just have, you know, I have high standards for him. I think he I think he's set to do big things. If Alex Until is calling he this out on, on killing guys, uh, I feel I feel like we're, we're overdoing it now with Pascal. <laughs> with Pascal. <laughs> yeah, Until right. he learns what to do with some evaporated milk, I'm not going to give him any credit. <laughs> Uh, by the way, the national dish of uh, Cameroon, where Siakam's from, is called Ndole. Either Dole or Ndole. I don't know how to pronounce it, but uh, there you go. That's Maybe that's one thing you could cook for uh, What's in it? people he's in isolation with. Since you have it open. Oh, man, you're, ask, you're asking too much right now. Uh, I thought you had it open. All right, go ahead. <laughs> I, I did, but I was only looking at the pronunciation guide, but which I botched anyway. So, uh, you'll, uh, you'll, it's a vegetable soup. It actually looks pretty good. 
anyway, um, so so Carlin, you uh, you kind of stole one of mine uh, with with Zion. Not not that I was going to go with Zion, but from the rebounding factor, I was going to go with uh, Jaron Jackson, who has an even more embarrassing rebounding percentage than than Zion. His is at eight point eight. The only guys worse than him is. Kevin Knox, Davis Berton, Robin Lopez, and Brook and Brooke Lopez among big men. So, you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go with him. You already did that analogy. That's fine. But he he kind of is turning into the next Brook Lopez, a guy who just blocks shots and doesn't rebound at all for a who big is it? Dude. It took us a defensive player of the year candidate, Brook Lopez. And also, I love that how we mentioned it took us for <laughs> we mentioned Brook Lopez on every single podcast. It's every podcast. <laughs> Forty uh, minutes in. Forty minutes yeah, we yeah. went without mentioning Brooklyn. If Lopez. you're listening, that's that's your cue to get drink to drink or uh, hit the bingo card, uh, the NBA Sound System bingo card. We've mentioned Brooklyn. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but listen, if if Jaron Jackson is too talented to become Brook Lopez in his career and, and average four point seven rebounds per game, which is what he's doing this season. But anyway, we can we can move to uh, a different analogy I had, and I'm going to go with Colin Sexton. Uh, it's really more because I want to talk about. Colin Sexton, because he's been so good and so underrated this year, uh, with one major flaw, and uh, I think what he needs to do also in the in the kitchen, um, he needs to cook a little bit for other people. He needs to pass the salad bowl. He needs to he needs to share with his with whoever he's isolating with because that's the one thing. If he's going to be a guard handling the ball a high percentage of the time and be a lead guard in this team, he's got to improve his his distribution rates. Among all guards averaging 20 points a game, which, give him credit, he's averaging 20 points a game, he's dead last in assist percentage at uh, 15.4. Uh, he's only averaging three on the season. So that's a guy who nobody's talking about. For some reason, he's just his reputation just isn't nowhere near what it should be for a, a guy who was a num- number eight pick in the draft, had a great freshman year in college and has put up good numbers but he's just completely overlooked he didn't even make the uh rookie rising stars game for some reason but over his last uh over his last 40 games he's averaging 23 points on 49 percent shooting 43 percent from three i mean this guy's been a, a stud even though cleveland's terrible so he's on his way to being a very good player in this league i don't know how he'll mess with darius garland but um I think they'll have to figure it out where he becomes more of a distributor and, and takes that next step. So are, are you hoping that he's like cooking for others and like preparing meals and dropping them on doorsteps or something? Because if anything, social distancing is the worst thing that could possibly happen to Colin Sexton because he's not with anyone else. He doesn't have anyone else to cook for, right? Yeah, maybe, I mean, maybe. If, he's, if he's by himself. Maybe this is a way for him to appreciate the fact that he had teammates that he should be sharing the rock a little bit more. Now he's missing them a little bit. So, you know, being away from them, you know, the heart grows fonder. So maybe he'll share the sugar a little bit more next time he, he gets back with them. But one thing he should do is get on Instagram Live because no one knows who the heck he is. And he's having an incredible season. Like you said, he got disrespected. He really should have been at the Rising Stars Challenge. It was, you know, a travesty that he didn't go putting up the numbers that he put up. And he was... After that, after that snub, he kind of sent a message saying, "Hey, I'm I'm still one of the best players." Like after the All Star break, he was incredible uh, as well. So I mean, you're right. He, no one's giving him credit, uh, and he had a decent rookie campaign after the first two months. I think it's really what happened was is really the first two months of the season when that Cavs locker room was as bad as it was, uh, and and I can't remember who it was. I think it was Jared Smith came out and just crushed him. 
and it, it was that was it for him. And it, you know, people just kind of wrote him off, but he, he's been pretty good. Yeah, even last year he had a he had a great last you know twenty games of the season where he shot a really he was shooting efficiently. He was sinking threes, which no one thought he was going to do coming into the league, averaging over twenty points a game. And and this year he's taken it to another step and been very consistent. I mean, you don't see guys that young that are shooting at that high of a volume for guards and shooting that efficiently very often. I mean, it, you got to give him a lot of credit. And he's the anti Trey Young. He defends. He does. He slaps the floor with two hands. So that's always fun. I'm happy that I'm happy that here in the in the first week of May we're still talking about snubs from the all rookie game. <laughs> that was that was one of the craziest, and I'm so guilty of it because I was doing it too. But like the amount of fury that people had over snubs from the rookie game this year was was pretty pretty fun. Where do you sit? Where do you sit on on snubs though? From like an all star game and a rookie game perspective, just just. Like, because for for me, I tend to lean on the side of I don't care. But the more that I've been looking back on like the the ninety stuff all, all and and everything else, and looking back at some of the guys that made the All Star team, that really holds water like ten years down the line. So if Colin Sexton was snubbed from the rookie game, people are kind of going to discredit his season, his his first first rookie year and his sophomore season as is like, oh, it wasn't that good, even though he put up great numbers. When in in reality, he should have been there. Like he should have been there, so that later on down the line, it, it mattered a little bit more in history. In, like, think, in terms of history, I think it only matters with the All Star games, right? I mean, have you one time in your life ever been like, "Oh, let me look up how good this guy was a rookie. Let me see if he played in the rookie sophomore game." No, you're yeah, right. Like I think all All Star snubs it, that factors in, right? Because then we start talking about like. We're start. We're having a conversation about best players in the '90s, right? And I know I was big on, well, like Reggie Miller only made a couple. He only had one halfway through the decade, or uh, and I know like people should probably lean on all NBA teams more, but I, I don't know, like All Star games matter. That was one of the big things when Chris Bosh didn't get in the Hall of Fame the first time around. It was like, how could a ten-time All Star not be in on, on on the very first go? So I, I think the snubs matter with the All Star. The All Rookie stuff does not matter at all. I agree with you. And I, I, I lean towards all NBA mattering more as well. But you're right, Colin. I've had exactly the same thing over the last few weeks, just researching some of these players that we've been talking about in the 90s and everything. The first thing I look at is, you know, their, their Wikipedia page or their basketball reference page at the top where it has all their credentials and everything. It's like, how many all-star teams did they make? How many all NBA teams did they make? First, second, third team, all defensive teams and things like that. Because um, it definitely helps put kind of into context the, the, the career that these guys had. And even with someone like, you know, Kyle Lowry, right? We had a Hall of Fame discussion with him after the finals last year. The fact that he's, what, a five or six-time All-Star, that's only going to help his case when he, you know, we talk about him being a Hall of Fame candidate when his career is over. Because if he only made two or three, I don't think that case would look nearly, like, it, it definitely wouldn't look as strong on paper. You look like you were going to say something, Alex. Go ahead. Uh, no, nah, I kind of agree. I, f- I feel bad. Uh, after you supported my Colin Sexton argument, saying that I couldn't tell you a single player, a single roster from any rookie game in the last 15 years, so I don't think it matters. But <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't. <laughs> thank you for supporting my argument, but I don't, I don't think it matters. If yeah, it's that uh, line. I, it just yeah, I, it just came to my mind because I like looking back, like we have been uh, over the last couple of weeks, so on like the older players that you know, you sometimes you forget how good they were. That's the first thing that jumps out is how many all-star teams they made how many times did they make all nba and you're either surprised or shocked that they didn't make 
you know, the teams that you thought they would have. Like Kevin Johnson this morning, we were talking about it in our morning meeting. Like he, one of the, you know, best players of late 80s, early 90s. He was an all-star every year in the late 80s, uh, early 90s and putting up big time numbers. But, you know, had he been snubbed, we would just look at those numbers, but ah, he, he was right. Like he wasn't as good as we thought he was. Or, so it's, uh, I think it matters, but you're right. I mean, maybe not all rookie, but the rest of it started to matter. Uh, that's all we have on this episode of NBA Sound System. You could keep it locked on NBA.com, CA.NBA.com for all your news notes around the NBA. For Micah Adams, Scott Rafferty, Alex Novick, I'm Carlin Gay. We will see you next week right here with a fresh episode on NBA Sound System.